Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me. And um, can you do like a little intro? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're currently based, what do you do, and a little bit about your company. All right. Good. I will start, I guess. Uh, so my name is Alex. I'm the co-founder of iLogos Game Studios. I'm actually in the games industry since a while. So started uh, about 20 years ago. Um, was one of the first pioneers in, in browser-based gaming back in the initial era of browser games, which was especially strong uh, in Europe, you know, in Germany, in CIS countries and some other countries. So I actually developed one of the first uh, Flash-based uh, MMORTS games back in that day. Uh, and actually, uh, then I uh, had quite a turbulent time uh, in different companies. So, for example, head at mail.ru Games Europe uh, for a while um, and did also quite a lot uh, with uh, publishing of different online games and, and more games. So it was actually a really, really cool experience. And then um, I've co-founded iLogos, iLogos Game Studios, which was, I, I need to say, uh, actually founded a little bit before my time. So I was like a late co-founder, let's say. So I joined the company as a you know, as an equal partner. And then we actually started to do even more exciting things. And about iLogos, what we do is essentially game development. So we are a studio and uh, a company uh, which actually works on different you know, projects uh, for primarily mobile games, mobile game development, but not only. So what we do also more and more are PC and console games in different forms and shapes. So we help to develop them, we develop them from scratch, we do live ops for them. So a lot of different cool things and also do porting. And we work with a lot of uh, well-known names in the industry like Ubisoft, uh, EA, uh, Rovio, Tino um, Games, uh, Vuga, and many, many, many more. So quite a solid roster. Um, and yeah, as I said, so it's, it's really primarily about mobile gaming. And also, by the way, it's important to mention that we also actively look into, um, we are looking also into some new areas like NFT and blockchain gaming, which is really overhyped right now. But I guess we can talk about it a bit later. So that's in the in the nutshell what we do. Sifanga? Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Alex, for such a comprehensive intro. So uh, my name is Svetlanka. Uh, I'm a member of the board of directors in uh, iLogos Game Studios, and I'm in charge of the whole um, customer operations of the business and uh, business scaling and growth. Um, I have been working with the customer operations and business development in various directions of software development, iGaming, and uh, consequently gaming too, uh, for 10 years. And um, my, my mission inside the board of directors and inside the business of iLogos Game Studios is to uh, bring all the best that currently the service business arena has to offer and to build out the, I would say, like, 
uh, 2.0 customer service and uh, customer scaling standards inside iLogos Game Studios. And um, Alex has uh, Alex has explained what the company does in a in a nutshell. So I'll just be happy to reply to any questions in more detail later. Awesome, guys. So can we talk a little bit about outsourcing as a whole? Like, where what is this market right now? Where it's going, and what are like the main driving forces that kind of push companies to use outsourcing in general? Uh, yeah, uh, that's a good uh, that's a good question to discuss. So, uh, outsourcing market in game development in general is very uh, quickly developing. There are like more and more studios growing right now, and uh, the studios that have been there for a while are growing. By the way, for example, in iLogos Game Studios, we have grown just like two times, two x over the last year. Uh, speaking about the core uh, drivers of the development of outsourcing business in game development, uh, first of all, there is a huge demand because the market is growing. Uh, the market is constantly bringing up the new directions, just like, for example, blockchain gaming or NFT gaming, where there's lots of capital inside. And uh, it's, it becomes more and more clear that if the game developers decide to do it all on their own, um, they would it would either be extremely hard for them to cope with all the scope that they are required to cope with, and it would be hard to meet the market momentum, not to lose that momentum and to release in the right time and to make sure it hits the right audience in the right moment. As the demand is growing, uh, the proposal is growing too, uh, consequently. And um, inside the game development outsourcing, uh, there are the directions with, I would say, like more narrow specialization, like art outsourcing or specific visual effects outsourcing or uh, development outsourcing. And um, there are the uh, there is a direction of more like full cycle 360 uh, approach to game development as a whole. Also, uh, the outsourcing market of game development can be classified through specializations on the certain style, whereas we can define, for example, um, AAA studios or uh, the studios specialized on a certain technology vertical like Unreal Engine or Unity or uh, the studios uh, the studios specialized on specifically mobile uh, casual gaming and so, uh, and, uh, so on. So um, right now, the market is quickly emerging and I would, you know, if, if I was asked about the main trend that I'm seeing right now inside the arena of the outsourcing business, I would say that this is a trend to a huge change uh, and the transformation because the market becomes more competitive, the rules become more strict and there's the jungle rule comes here, go big or go home. So uh, it's getting more and more complicated for the smaller studios to uh, 
retain talents, to retain the projects and still stay profitable because the demand is growing, the capital inside the uh, game development market is growing, the value of the talents is growing too. Uh, at the same time, uh, if the studios and when the studios decide on going big or going home, uh, this is the point where they start you know, growing and, and, and winning. So uh it's more or less it but maybe you wanted to know something more maybe yeah. you wanted to know something more specific um, i actually have a question for alexander because i know alexander from the flash scene like a long time ago yeah. and uh, it's very interesting to hear your perspective of, of how like video game development and publishing and just kind of just, just making a profitable game changed because from mm-hmm. my perspective, when it was Petsovsky Club and all those kind of yeah. o- o- older titles, you don't really, you didn't really need that much resource, right? You just go there, and the Absolutely. audience was there, mm-hmm. and you didn't really have to fight for it that much. And it was very easy. You mm-hmm. put, you know, Xola in, you get the payments going, and that it basically right. Done. right now it seems like the barrier of entry of all of all. Although the technologies are kind of getting easier and it's mm-hmm. like more people available doing like C Sharp or C++ and art is also readily available. But the mm-hmm. bar is so high and the customers, you know, are so picky and uh, it's just incredibly difficult to launch this product and make sure that it's, um, you know, it makes money. And from, we, we talked with guys from Mailru, a bunch of other companies and like, um, and all of them are saying is that uh, the thinking process before we launch anything is incredible. They're trying to plan everything. They have all those business models and trying to make sure. So my question is, how does outsourcing sort of fit in this new situation right now? And Svetlanka kind of mentioned it a little bit, but it would be nice to get in like from more practical kind of like the founder approach. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I were to go and invest like a million bucks or like five million bucks in a game, what part of it would go to outsourcing? All right. Yeah, it's a great question. You're absolutely right. The time uh, are totally different, you know, these days so compared to 20 years ago, especially in, in browser gaming, where it was completely feasible and completely okay to just start a new browser game with a few guys. So it was a lot of stories like Inno games, for example, just a few students who just started, you know, to create the first game, the tribes, and then it became a massive uh, international success. And there were a lot of stories like this. So it was a really, really nice time. So these days, especially on, on mobile, uh, you have to be uh, very careful in what you do, uh, how much, you know, you have, uh, how many resources you have to, to plan, uh, you know, for the game to be able to succeed, let's say, and what kind of, let's say, art assets you need to to design in order to be competitive on the current mobile game market. So, for example, I don't know if you plan to do a hardcore RTS game on mobile, you will most probably fail. So you need to know your market fit, market product fit. You need to understand what the uh, tastes of the audience commonly are, unless you plan for a very, very narrow niche and you really know how to how to promote a product in, in that niche. So it may be, I don't know, Twitch based or something different, so something totally out of the usual, you know, route, how uh, a mobile game would be usually marketed. So it's a, it's a very good question. Obviously now these days, 
a lot of people start to design a mobile game even before uh, the game exists in any kind of prototype. So a lot of, uh, in, in a lot of you know, cases, it's really only about to do some marketing tests, some creative tests and see if uh, this kind of game will actually uh, you know, have a lot of clicks and good CTR rates and some, some decent marketing stats. And if the marketing stats um, are looking good, then obviously you can go ahead and then you can just you know, design and uh, mm-hmm. develop the full game in the hope that during the development, the stats uh, are not too much off from the initial stats, right? So it's also a very important factor, which many companies tend to forget that obviously if you make a, a test marketing campaign in January, it can be a totally different outcome, maybe in, I don't know, November, you know, the same year, because the market is changing so rapidly, you know, day by day. So obviously, uh, if you work um, with a small team or in a small team, um, you need to know what is your scope of the content? So how much you know, art you need, uh, how, many, how many developers you would need for the plan functionality. Obviously, as also Svetlanta said, the, the uh, resources are very scarce. So according to some of the statistics, currently there is a lack of about 40% of the workforce for game development. So essentially it's a huge number. So obviously almost half of the people is just missing for you know for creation of games. So obviously, one of the ways how to um, yeah how to actually uh, make the game happen obviously is to just use the outsourcing and some external studios, external partners, maybe freelancers. So I would say that uh, a team, especially a small team of indie developers, whoever who would like to create a game for PC, Steam, for mobile, for some other platforms needs to be aware of what are, uh, what are the capabilities that they possess, what is the amount of content they want to create, what is the overall roadmap of a game, basically. So how many months you would like to have the game developments, you know, to be actually done. <laughs> yeah, so let's say half a year, one year, two years, whatever. So if you have this solid planning and you know that you lack a lot of resources, then obviously outsourcing is a good way how to copy a bit, how to, uh, you, know, you know, basically make it happen, make the production happen. Uh, but obviously, it's very important that you really pay attention to the quality level. Because, for example, from our experience, there are a lot of small studios, small outsourcing studios uh, in different parts of the world. And some of them can appear extremely cheap, extremely cheap and extremely inexpensive. But the problem is that sometimes the quality is just really not up to the uh, quality level that is small studio would like to see in the final product. And then obviously you need to redo in the worst case, a lot of art assets because then you get something which you cannot use or you have huge delays. Even if you have not lost the money, then you have lost some time. So it's a complicated topic, but I would say that first of all, you need to be aware what exactly are you going to create? What are your internal resources and what are you missing? That's it basically. Guys, I have a question. You kind of touched on the quality and you talked a little bit about the needs of customers. You mentioned indie developers for mm-hmm. <clears throat> a number of times, but it seems like, and from, from, from my perspective, especially here, like in California with a lot of large companies, this is um, like capacity in any company that we meet is scarce. Mm-hmm. So basically Absolutely. everybody yes. wants to do more than they are capable of doing. So it seems like outsourcing becomes um, 
something like you know you, you kind of have to rely on it it's not something that you choose not to and from economical standpoint it also sometimes doesn't make uh, sense you don't need like a hundred artists to do whatever you do and then where Absolutely. you're gonna fire them and a few companies like maybe blizzard maybe some like of the big guys can help can allow you know to spend mm -hmm. millions of bucks and people are just drawing rocks or you know, uh, textures on the, the kind of right. stuff. It's, it's, it's super expensive. So my, my question here uh, comes into maybe Svetlanka and you, you can uh, kind of pitch in. So how do you compete? So it seems like if you compete with price, obviously it goes nowhere because hmm. you can only go this far, but then it kind of doesn't make sense because you need to spend more time and money on improving the assets of lower quality and it just makes sense just to pay whatever the market rate is. So if it's not the price, and we, we still know that the price is, is important, although some people might say uh, price is not an issue, it, it, it is always an issue, but still, if you don't take that factor in, so how do you find your clients, how do you can I explain the value of your uh, business to them? How do you kind of win deals and how do you make sure that they choose you? Because there is, I, I can name like 10 companies here just in, in my area where I am in US. And then if you go in Ukraine, there's like a lot of very good companies out there. There you, you got Room 8 Studios, you got a bunch of like smaller ones. If you go to China, you got like Keyword Studios, which is crazy. <laughs> it's huge. It's like Microsoft, it seems. And, yeah, absolutely. and, and, and yeah, so on and so forth. So how do you kind of find your way in this market? Mm. Okay. Yeah, sorry, okay. Svetlanka, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, all right, I'll start and maybe uh, Alex will have also something to add. So I totally agree that competing in price in the current market of the game development, external development, uh, doesn't make sense because it's a road to nowhere because even if you do a completely not profitable project built totally on loss, there will still be someone who will make it cheaper. So it's definitely not the option to compete in the price. Still, uh, as an outsourcing business, as a service business, the business does need to have its unique sales proposal. In iLogos, how do we solve this issue in iLogos Game Studios? In iLogos, we position ourselves as an external developer or outsourcer with the product expertise. So we are not just a uh, company, a vendor that is providing the development services. We are a solution provider. So we provide the solutions to the client's needs. And we care not just about, you know, the bunch of tasks that we need to complete in order to get the money. We would rather care about the whole product result that the client is about to receive, what kind of business value the client is about to receive, and how we can help the client generate this business value because in case we speak about the business value that the client will receive for example i would mention um i love has been working on developing angry birds 2 for windows basically important windows that help the game get like hundred thousand daily players which is like a business result and uh in case you put the business result 
uh, as a priority, uh, this is the point where you start delivering the real value and where you understand together with the client that it's not about the hourly rate being paid to your developers, like two or three dollars higher or lower. It's about the final value that the business is getting and a matter of being ROI positive, you know, return on investment positive. And we have plenty of cases when, for example, we're operating live operation for certain games. And during the timeline of our cooperation, they're growing in revenue. For example, they triple in, re in revenue or they like uh, double and get doubled in, re in revenue. And in such situation, yeah, they could go with a cheaper studio um, and they would definitely have less expenses in this case. At the same time, if we evaluate the total cost of ownership and if we evaluate the actual result the business is getting, um, it appears that it's fine to go for a higher rate for getting a higher result that is like exponentially higher, not just like a couple dollars, uh, a couple dollars higher. So um, definitely it doesn't make sense to compete in price, but it does make sense to compete in expertise and to compete in product vision. And lots of talents, basically the key talents that we have in iLogos right now and that we are involving into iLogos at the moment, uh, they all have the background working with big products, with some, you know, some really strong, great products in the world. And uh, that is why we are nurturing this product expertise and like understanding, uh, understanding what the client is getting from the product standpoint. And one more thing, uh, in the previous question, Alex has mentioned that it's important to, uh, for a studio before going into outsourcing to understand what kind of, uh, what kind of scope uh, they need to produce and understand what kind of capabilities they possess at the certain at a certain time at the same time there are a lot of companies like ip owners that are willing to develop the game based on their ip and it's hard for them to even you know evaluate what kind and which amount of content would be involving enough and things like that and here just working hands wouldn't work for them. What would work for them is a partner with a product expertise that would uh, help them navigate them through the journey of turning this IP into the right game with the right title, with the right involvement and metrics. Uh, Alex, maybe you also wanted to add something. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At The Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now 
Uh, yeah, I can just also briefly add that obviously the uh, games market in total is a huge market, right? So we are talking according to different estimations about the market, which is between 175 billion US dollars up to uh, the maximum, uh, you know, estimate of about 350 uh, billion US dollars. So obviously there are a lot of things that, uh, you know, needs to be done, needs to be created. So obviously it's about art assets, it's about you know development on the front end, on the back end, it's about porting, it's about visual effects, it's about so many different things, animations and so on. So if uh, a out if an outsourcing studio, an outsourcing you know company uh, focuses on a certain part of this entire let's say creation chain and uh, is really um, you know profound in what uh, what it does. So for example. If a company is a very good specialist in uh, visual effects and so not so many companies around the globe can compete with it, then obviously uh, uh, this segment of the market uh, would be, uh, you know, a natural good niche for such a company to be really uh, competitive and to be really sustainable and not come, not even companies like keywords. Uh, would be able to attack it that easily. Also, I have to say, by the way, that uh, some of the biggest players on the games market, they are not really fond of the idea that one company controls all the outsourcing. I can tell you for sure, according to my talks with uh, some of the biggest players, they are really not fond of the idea that companies like Keywords will actually control the entire outsourcing market and say, okay, we can control everything, we can dictate you the prices, we can dictate you our terms, that's definitely what EA, Ubisoft, Activision would want. They actually hate this idea. And this also allows a lot of other studios to be successful because uh, oftentimes you will just find that uh, a certain project is not given to companies like Keywords also because of such fact, right? So yeah, I think that overall um, there is a lot of things which are important for the consideration how smaller studios can compete against keywords and they also actually effectively and successfully do. Uh, so what you're saying is basically the nature of the market because the, if the bargaining power of the supplier and we let's consider outsourcer as a supplier, if the bargaining power grows you know too much and it, it influences the core business like my the gaming business that's why they're trying to find the other players so the market kind of balances itself out, but you kind of touched a little bit about the business business expertise, and uh, I think this is one of the values that iLogos kind of presents because I know that you had successful projects of your own when you were um, working before. But my question is um, kind of connected with porting. I really like this um, direction, and it's I, I I'm very interested to hear Svetlankas and Alexander's look at it. So. If, we have a platform, you know, iOS or Android, where you have this hundreds of thousands of games, very competitive market, incredible cost of user acquisition. And um, some companies are trying to see how they can monetize their games and franchises outside of it, right? We saw a lot of games being ported to Switch right now. We, you, you've mentioned yourself that there are some you know, people are moving games to like PC. Um, what's your take on that? How do you, you see iLogos in that kind of direction? How do you help with porting? And why does porting make sense or maybe it doesn't make sense for mobile games? Because it's, it's, it is kind of like a niche thing. 
I can briefly comment on this. So essentially, uh, in, indeed, it's a very important part. Uh, and I think that a lot of mobile games creators, they just underestimate the power of such consoles as Nintendo Switch and maybe also PC and some other consoles and some, I would say, rare cases. So Nintendo Switch is more, of course, of, of the match for the mobile games compared to, I don't know, Xbox or or PlayStation, obviously. Uh, and we also, by the way, we actively port games from mobile to Nintendo Switch. So we did it also many times. One of the most famous port is, uh, is a game Shadow Fight, uh, which is uh, published by Nekin. So it's actually, it's a wonderful game. Uh, and uh, I would actually encourage everyone to play it on, on, on either platform because it's just awesome. It's, uh, it's a beautiful fighting game. And for such a fighting game, obviously, which is kind of like, you know, Street Fighter kind of games or Mortal Kombat kind of games. So basically the match from a mobile screen to a Nintendo Switch screen is very, uh, you know, close because obviously it's about fighting context on a mm -hmm. smaller, you know, screen. It's very important that obviously uh, uh, we did the entire UX and UI overhaul. Uh, you need to use joysticks instead, instead of, you know, tapping on the screen or instead of virtual joysticks, better to say. So obviously uh, this component is extremely important. And I think that what is really important for any kind of porting from mobile is indeed how to make the UI right. Because uh, even if you face some technical challenges on the porting itself, so obviously you need to know the console, you need to know the, uh, the SDK, you need to have the dev kits, the test kits, and so on and so forth. So let's say you have this all, uh, but still, you also need to understand how to tackle all those little things, let's say, about the usability, about the gameplay ability, let's say, of uh, such games. And, and this can be a key factor um, in a possible success or failure of such games. And I personally think that there is a huge room for a lot of cool games. So, for example, I just recently played uh, a game which is called Cat Quest uh, with my uh, little son. Um, and this game is available on uh, iOS, Android, and also Nintendo Switch. Unfortunately, we did not do the port of it, but I have to say that it's done really perfectly. It's a brilliant, brilliant example how a really cool RPG game, for uh, mostly for for children, can be really uh, effectively done on all these platforms. Uh, essentially, you can play it really well, regardless if it's uh, iPad, if it's you know Nintendo Switch. And this is something which we definitely see as part of our core expertise on the porting, you know, that we also have uh, people in our team who really understand uh, how to tackle all those things in regard to the feasibility and gameplayability on different platforms. Thanks, Alex. Uh, um, you've outlined it perfectly. And uh, I, would, uh, I would add that there's a lot of, you know, hidden potential pitfalls that the game developer can face uh, porting something for the first time. Uh, because all the time it's important not just to port to replicate the game, but there are often the UI adjustments. Uh, often the porting, like in our case, we have the cases when porting is uh, uh, also involving uh, the mechanics adjustments to make sure that the audience that's, that, that is using, for example, Nintendo Switch is feeling comfortable with these certain games. So there are like mechanics adjustments or even monetization adjustments. And it's just important in such case when starting to port to 
choose the partner that has expertise with the platform and that would be able to outline that potential pitfalls and advice on the suggestions beforehand. Thank you guys. Uh, I think this is a very interesting topic and more developers should kind of look into how they can give another life sort of to their game on another platform. I think it makes sort of sense uh, business-wise. Um, so let's move to another topic. Uh, so blockchain, crypto, NFTs, we, we are living through like the next crypto spring or whatever, Bitcoin is going through the roof. All those words are kind of like the hype right now. Where are you in this position? Uh, are you among the companies who are kind of getting involved? If you're getting involved in what, what capacity and what are you doing in that space? Okay. Uh, yeah, I can quickly outline what we do right now with all those overhyped, you know, buzzwords. <laughs> I have to say that I personally hate the buzzword metaverse because I think that nobody truly understands what this buzzword yeah, what does it is really mean? about. What does it mean? Nobody knows. Exactly. So I I like more the word meta game, you know, and such things like let's say so uh, games within a game and so on, like Roblox, for example, and so on. So it can be UCG based. It can do you know whatever based, but you know, metaverse itself is just overhyped, you know, clearly, and also NFT is kind of a little bit overhyped. And we clearly see that, uh, yeah, there is just too much buzz around this word. But I have to say that uh, I think personally that NFT is a really good, uh, let's say, path ahead of it. So I think that there will be a, a good part of the market which somehow uses this concept, not necessarily based on blockchain and NFT, but at least the concept of play to earn, the concept of obviously that there is something uh, that a player can retain from the game and maybe also sell it to other players or so some kind of digital good, digital artifact, let's say, uh, based on, on a certain game. And obviously, I think that there is some really good actually point in why NFTs and games uh, can be used uh, for sure not necessarily that they should be used and uh, that's what we see right now that a lot of uh, you know a lot of IDOs and ICOs in this space they just tell us that they will create some ultra cool game where you can do everything and own some magical NFT uh, you know which will magically uh, you know make you rich uh, make you rich uh, which is obviously uh, not really something which I would say makes uh, sense. It's actually, it's not. Uh, but on the other hand, and by the way, also there are some really big stories, like uh, there is a game which is called Star Atlas. Uh, it reminds me heavily on Star Citizen. I have a very big suspicion suspicion that it's going to be the same fate <laughs> as you know star citizen has right now so we will never see a game done so let's see how it goes but unfortunately so there is a big part of such stories which clearly looks like uh, you know yeah uh, more like a scam obviously to be honest but again i think that a lot of things can be born out of it. I think that a lot of interesting ideas will be validated uh, on the market. Uh, we are also, by the way, uh, you know, creating now several NFT-based games, uh, and these are games like, for example, uh, you know, basketball uh, star-based games, where obviously NFT is a very essential part. 
uh, in the entire gameplay. So obviously, uh, a collection of, of basketball players, and it also you know this also uh, makes sense. You can think the same about any kind of sports game, be it soccer, be it I don't know football, be it uh, hockey whatever so you name it you know maybe martial arts and so on so i think that ev everything which uh, can substantially have a good underlying collection of something be it players or teams whatever um which you can own uh, for a bit longer period of time than just maybe for the gameplay of one two months and then you basically spend your time for nothing and maybe also money i think that every player of fifa knows how it feels if you spend a lot of money on your ultimate team and then there is the next version of it and essentially you have to start over and so on and so forth so I think that there is a really, really good point and why NFT uh, is an important, interesting vector of movement. But on the same time, uh, I think that uh, at the same time, I think that many publishers will actually try to prevent it from happening because obviously they will lose power. Uh, they would not control anymore, at least not fully, the marketplaces, the digital goods you know, within the games. So I think that we will see some struggle. And uh, some of the biggest publishers, they will probably be very cautious uh, in what they uh, do with NFTs, how they design them, if they even use them, even, um, you know, if they are even willing to consider them somehow. So let's hear uh, where it goes. Uh, Alexander, I have to ask, uh, I'm sorry, Sitlan, but like mm -hmm. uh, one more question. So Steam uh, kind of banned all the crypto yes. and all the NFT mm -hmm. stuff. Right. So what do you think is the reason behind it? Because in my, mm -hmm. uh, like kind of in the, in the perspective of a person who is not really into, you know, mm -hmm. Counter-Strike skins, it does look very similar to whatever the Valve itself was doing with all the in-game in right. economy. Right. So why would they ban it? Or is this like competition again or? I think it's about the competition, honestly. I think that's exactly what uh, I was just actually speaking about, that the, uh, the publishers who control fully control a marketplace right now, like, you know, in case of uh, Valve, it's obviously Steam, where they control everything, uh, more or less, at least with their own games, like, you know, Dota 2 and From the Strike Go and so on. So essentially, uh, they would feel uh, out of control if this uh, path would actually go further. And if uh, some of the games that would appear on the platform would actually prove that this open marketplace would make sense for their players so i think it's like a, it's like a prevention strike maybe so then they thought about how to prevent it from happening and how to uh, not give the power of uh, let's say market uh, you know market making and market taking to the players themselves and how to leave this entire power in their own hands. It might be one of the explanations of it. But I was actually also surprised, and I was even more surprised um, afterwards as Epic Games Store actually committed themselves to NFTs, even though Tim Sweeney is known that he is very suspicious uh, about this entire topic and considers his- I have a theory about that. Mm -hmm. I have a theory about that. I think that, um... So basically, Steam is all about the players. So they want to have good relationship with players. And I feel that they are afraid that this, if the mm -hmm. crypto guys are going to go on Steam, it's just going to turn in, in another 
super right. rare or whatever. Yeah. On the other hand, Steam, they are all about developers. They want to mm -hmm. attract uh, developers. So they want to, whatever, if you right. want to do NFTs, yeah, do <laughs> Just do something. Yeah. <laughs> Just do whatever. Right. Right. As long yeah. as you're staying with us. So maybe it's uh, one of the, uh, so guys, uh, thank you for your time. There is, mm -hmm. I have one more question though. Um, it is kind of connected with the NFT space and uh, and also retaining of talent. So I, I know that, um, and I work with a lot of outsourcing studios and with a lot of not outsourcing studios, they're creating products. And one of the key things that they are all fighting with is retaining talent. Because if it's a high level talent and they are in demand, they switch. They basically go from one project to another project to the third project. And they are, you know, very mobile. If you don't have kids and you don't, you know, you can do basically whatever. And um, how do you fight with this? Like, do you, you know, do you create options inside the company to keep people in? Do you do like ref share initiatives where you, let's say you would be selling NFTs and the guys would be getting like a percentage of that NFTs or something like that. Like what, what, what are the ways that you're making people stay? How do you help them grow, develop and make sure that they kind of won't stay in your company because we've seen stories where very large organization in the video game space they are kind of having trouble with that they don't they don't know how to build this culture where people are you know content and they are happy and they want to work there so what's your take on that uh, uh, that's a good question and i would say that it's a, that's a, it's a very hard question right now because if we look at the um game development and outsourcing space. Um, let's take, for example, uh, Eastern Europe and Ukraine in particular. The average, um, the average employee uh, mm, mm, lifetime, basically the employee time spent in a certain business is two to three years. Uh, in Ilagos Game Studios, our average is uh, four years and something which is like higher than the market standard. And we have plenty of people. I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm used when I'm getting these mailings from HR department saying that these like 10 guys have celebrated their 10th anniversary with Ilogos or their 11th anniversary with Ilogos. Um, so um, speaking about the recipe, obviously, well, there are a lot of points and a lot of factors that influence this. Um, the great talents uh, definitely want to work on great projects and definitely want to develop their talents and to be able to try something new. So the recipe number one would be uh, becoming an employer that is able to supply the talent with the interesting projects and that is able to you know, to give them the opportunity to try something else, to switch, and not to be uh, kind of bound for all their lifetime and sign the company uh, by one title, uh, because people feel, people often feel, um, might feel kind of demotivated when they understand that, all right, I'll spend like the next seven years of my life on this title. Uh, whereas inside, in, in, in case the company gives the opportunity to try to work on this project and deliver value there and then go develop the talent and um, 
and get an opportunity to work, let's say, if we speak about art, uh, get developed the skills in the art style, in the art style with the projects with, let's say, higher requirements and things like that. So uh, being able to offer people the options to work with great world known projects uh, and to, you know, to switch, not to feel kind of overwhelmed and tired and tied to one for all their lifetime. This would be the recipe number one. The recipe number two would be actually building the uh, right business culture, the right corporate culture, and actually being a great employer. Because the question of the corporate culture is still not that popular among the studios. Um, it's still kind of perceived more like formally, all right, we'll write these couple words about, I don't know, like company values, or we'll write about these couple words about our company's like ethical policy. Uh, these are just two like pieces of paper. Okay, we read it, we put the check and we forget about it. Um, if the business is creating the corporate culture that is truly uniting the talents uh, and driving them and motivating them staying together and uh, driving something uh, inside a community uh, that shares the values, their life values, this is also a huge argument and there is a lot of work uh, behind building this kind of, you know, this kind of corporate cu culture. And this is definitely a big direction for investment, you know, for the modern studios, be it product and game development studios or outsourcing studios. Uh, the other important point is actually the um, sincere and serious attitude towards the company values, not just in the words, but also uh, in practice, like being able to follow them. And for example, in case the uh, business value is care and trust, it means that if your talent is in trouble, uh, you do act based on the value of care and trust, other than just saying, okay, we're like concerned, uh, just, get out of your trouble and then come back. So uh, it's also important and the talents feel it. And this is often what, what motivates the talents stay with the business for a long time. And also the recipe number four would be selecting the talent that is enthusiastic about the project, about the product that they work on. Because there are people um, like I recently, I recently talked to like uh, the, the developers here in Ilovas, and they were saying, uh, "I love butlers. I play butlers. I spend my free time playing butlers, and I want to develop butlers." So it's important to you know to select the talents that are enthusiastic uh, about what they do and that are, you know, uh, excited seeing what they do in production, because in case it's treated just like a job, uh, okay, I come at nine, I do several, you know, lines of code, and uh, then I leave, this wouldn't probably work in the long run. That's oh, great answer. Thank you. Uh, Sasha, do we have anything to add? Uh, not really. I think that, you know, Svetlana covered it pretty much. So yeah. It was yeah. very extensive. Uh, 
-hmm. it's very nice to hear this uh, like you know that you actually have an answer to this to this kind of question and the problem that arises it would be interesting to see how you guys tackle it when as you grow because as you like if, oh. if you're like in a thousand people, I mean we are growing all the time but <laughs> so, yeah. no no I know I mean like it becomes scale, more challenging. it becomes more challenging yes uh, that, that's yeah. what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say right but anyway yeah um so I think we're kind of out of time so uh, any kind of closing words maybe to some of the talent who wants to join your studio or you know clients that you want to attract Join us and trust us. <laughs> <That's it. Okay. laughs> Thank you so much, Wes. That so was much. perfect. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP. And share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.